Hello, podcasters. Teresa McBean here at North Star Community, and I'm here with... Scott McBean, sometimes called the Ass Pastor, short for associate, obviously. What else could that mean? It could mean a lot more than that. Or a lot less, depending That's on right. how you look at it. Uh, so this message, um, for those who care, which I personally think none of you do, uh, came from the October 5th message that you did, and... I received an email about this message from you. That was from me. From somebody else who was here at the message. I was out of town. I don't know where I was, and I missed it. But they said this was the best message you had ever done. Well, that's very nice. And um, you know, every time we sit down to record, you say that whatever it is is the best one that I've ever done. I so, had every right to say that. Um. So, As you know, your mother, <laughs> I marvel at you. Yeah, I think everybody knows that's more about motherly pride than um, anything real that's going on. But um, this time it came from an outside source. But yeah, we get that little bit in there. Best, best, hashtag best ever. Best ever. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. So you start out with a question. Why does God want you to follow him? What kind of responses did you get? Did you even remember? Can you remember them? It's been um, a while. I am trying to remember. Um, why does God want you to follow him? You know, I think people tend to say things like, um, it's going to be better for you. Uh-huh. Um, you know, God, uh, you know, I think... Um, you know, I think our crowd often does a good job answering these questions in ways that are more honest and real. Yeah, uh, for sure. But, uh, so I think, you know, some people say things like he desires relationship, which I think is really true and good. Yeah. And yeah. Not anything I would push back on. So you get um, a lot of flavors of that. Um, you know, I think if you ask this in a more traditional environment, you know, I think you start to hear things about obligation. Right. You know, God does things for you, therefore you should do something for him. Right. Uh, but really we started, you know, we... So Did we you asked, get any fear responses? Any fear responses? Yeah. What would like, be an example? Like, well, if I don't follow him, things are really going to go bad for me, you know? Oh, yeah. I don't remember if anybody said that, but I certainly imagine somebody was thinking that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think yeah. that's... Uh, a pretty common. Uh, we do it so that we don't go flying off the rails, so that we don't... We in the world don't go to hell in a handbasket, that kind of thing. Right. You know. Um, but, um, yeah, that was kind of a warm-up question. And, um, you know, I followed that up by asking asking this question. Um, Brittany's got this new marketing business that she's doing. She's doing very well at it. Um, she's she's um, uh, kind of paid a lot of attention to the research on marketing and best practices and that kind of thing. And um, she told me recently that uh, one of the common tips that that these pros give you is give something away for free. Okay. You know, if you're trying to get business from somebody, give the person who's a potential client something for free because if they get something from you for free, then they're more likely to buy whatever the product is. So this has kind of been advice that she gives her clients. You know, whatever it is you're selling, find something to give away for free. And so I asked the crowd, why do you think this is? Why are people more likely to buy something 
from somebody who's given them something for free. And what well, kinds well, of Well, can I can I say something really totally off the subject, but I think is funny here? Yeah. So I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. And you know, while we were on vacation, uh your dad and I had that two and a half week vacation. Yep. And uh, so I had downloaded some stuff from um, so, uh, about something I was interested in learning, mm-hmm. and it was for free. Yep. And then I started getting bombarded with these messages about how I could upgrade my learning mm-hmm. for only fifteen ninety nine, fifty nine ninety nine, and all this stuff. Yep. And I wasn't interested in that. All I wanted was this little taste of this concept that I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And finally, like the twelfth email I got, the header on the email was, "What did I do wrong?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I replied to it, enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, that's funny. So you're you're. Bucking, I'm agreeing. You're bucking the trend, though. I am because, bucking the trend, though, because you did not make. And then a I got a shame email because evidently. That's funny. That was so wrong. if so, okay. So let's just play this out in real time. So if you were to guess why people make the purchase after getting the free thing what would your guess be as to as to what's the motivation behind making the purchase well i would think you would really have to like the free thing right and if she hadn't so in my personal thing if she hadn't spent so much time trying to sell herself on the free thing so that i didn't get as much content as i wanted I would have been tempted. And the reason I probably would have been tempted is if if it looked like good quality, if it looked like there was something to learn, maybe I would feel like, hey, you did that thing for me and didn't charge me anything, so the least I can do now is give you a little money back. Is have that you wrong? Been, have you been looking ahead no, on is the that, paper? Is that wrong? No, that's right. Oh, okay, good. I feel it's, confident. It's obligation. That's why people will buy something from, more likely to buy something from somebody who's given them something for free. You've given me something. Therefore, I feel indebted to you. Therefore, I will make a purchase. Interesting. And so in this question of why does God want you to follow him, I feel like so often it's been presented this way. Look at Everything poor Jesus has done for you. Yeah. Look at everything poor Jesus has done for you. And you can't accept him in your heart? It, he saved you by the skin. What is that phrase? By the skin of your teeth? That's not right, is it? That doesn't even make sense. I know sense. what you mean. I think that is an expression. I don't even know what that expression means. But you know... You, you were snatched from the jaws of hell because of all that Jesus did for me. Yeah. Right? yeah. So how could you not, how could you not follow? Right. You know, and there's this. Shame on you if you don't. Yeah. It's this tactic, right? It's this, right. it's this attempt to create a sense of indebtedness, mm-hmm. you know? And so in my mind, you know, this is part of this lar- larger conversation of how do we see God working in the world? What is he doing in the world? And so this question of why why does God want you to follow him? Is it about, is part of what God is doing trying to create a sense of indebtedness so that you're obligated to follow? Or is there something more going on here? Right? That's kind of the idea that we're working with. And so that led me to this, um, we had a few different passages 
but one was from Luke 4. You know, it's, it's Jesus's first sermon, and he gets up and he says what he's here to do. And he says, he sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wasn't he quoting Isaiah there or something in, like that? In part, in part, yeah, and we'll get to that in a second. And the year of the Lord's favor, what that means is there's this Old Testament concept that every so often all debts are going to be forgiven. So anybody who's lended money or lended resources is not going to make the person, you know, whatever's hanging in the balance at the end of this period of time is going to be forgiven. And they're not going and they're not going to make them repay it. And so this is a type of forgiveness, right? Right. But it's so interesting what Jesus doesn't say here. He doesn't say that he's here to do so many things that people will feel so indebted to him that right. they must follow him, that they must accept him. He doesn't say that he's come to point out all the areas where you're not being a good little boy or girl. He says I've come to free you, I've come to heal you, I've come to accept you, I've come to forgive you. Right. And he's talking about his work. <clears throat> and it's not a comment it's not a commentary on on what we need to be uh feeling shameful about. Right. I mean, he's come to do something for us to free us, right? That's kind of the basic idea here is that He's, he's almost saying, I've come to make it possible for you to live, to have a sense of well-being, to thrive, to be liberated. Um, I keep using that word over and over again. But that's the, that's a, being liberated is the complete opposite idea of being indebted. Right. Right? I mean, being indebted is to be shackled to something, to do something because it must be done, not because you feel so free that you can do something. Right. It is pretty much the opposite. Obligation is a tie to, liberation is freedom from, right? So yeah. So if we're trying to and look freedom at, to, if we're trying to look at this question from God's own perspective, from Jesus's perspective of why follow, it would have very little to do with being obligated or indebted. Right. Um, any thoughts on that so far? You're kind of going through this for the first time, so I'm wondering what's going on with you. I am. Well, I mean, you know, I've always loved that he picked an Old Testament passage to riff off of for his first sermon. Well, there was no New Testament. Well, <clears throat> that wasn't my point at all. My point was was that, you know, um, he brought the old into the new. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I have so many people say to me, well, I don't ever read the Old Testament because I know this is totally off point. So, uh, but I don't ever read the Old Testament because it doesn't have anything to do with the New Testament, but evidently Jesus thought it did. And mm -hmm. so when I think about this, I think about God's intentions for us from the beginning. And I think uh, in addition to that, that these were the same intentions creator God had. So yet again, we're not we're not looking at okay, God created the world and everything that was in it. Humans really screwed it up, mm -hmm. and so God, in a fit of panic, with wringing hands, had to say, "Jesus, go down there and take care of this mess for me. Take out you know? the trash. Take out the trash." Um, so I. I don't know. That is meaningful to me personally to think of it like that. That I think that God. There's a sense of con uh, congruence. Yeah. 
in the message from beginning to end. Yes, and it also reminds me of, um, again, apologies for being a little off topic, but it reminds me again of when you were teaching that class, What Is God Up To? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we spent a good bit of time on that I particularly loved was the point that for whatever reason, God has made some choices that reflect the fact that we are part of his solution. Yeah. Um, That we are part of the bringing of the kingdom to earth. Mm -hmm. And that this is required. um, It's his work, but he's requested some partners. He's requested some partners, which limits what he does, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he's not he's not an oligarch. Yeah. He chose to take a team approach to things. And everybody knows when you work in a team, it's just fraught with compromise and everybody not quite getting everything they want. Right. But it is it is never about obligation. Right. It's always about people coming together to work as a team. And so, again, to me, here's that thread all the way through the scriptures, from old to new and beyond, this idea that God does not see us as fundamentally broken. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's what I'm thinking about. Yeah, and so I, you know, I think the idea here is that God's trying to, if we think about this question, what God is up to and what Jesus says he's doing is like, he's trying to create a, an opportunity for a better world, for a better life, for um, more human freedom, um, for more thriving, for more wellness. You he know, is not trying of, to get more Facebook followers that are going to buy his latest product. Right, right. And you said that you know, he quoted Isaiah 65 in that sermon. So I did a paraphrase of um, Isaiah 65, verses 17 to 25 to follow up on this. Okay. To follow up on this idea of what is God doing and and how does he see people, right? I think maybe that's the question that I'm always so interested in is how does God see people when we've been told that God wants us to be obligated to follow him? Um. When, we, when we've been told that so many times, you know, that uh, he's done so much for us, you know, we must be a pain in the butt, you know, right. if if that's how God, if that's how God sees people, which is not what I think, right? But like, right. if that is how he sees us, I have to do all this stuff because I just can't get it right. I mean, that's uh, that's a tough pill for me to swallow. Well, and even if nobody has told us that, I wonder if there isn't a little bit of that in all of us. I mean, look, I got to come clean and admit here that (laughs) I look at the world and say, God, what in the world? You want to partner with us, (laughs) mere mortals? So there is this sense of like, feelings of inadequacy and like, what could we possibly offer to your team? And yet he feels that way. So he's seeing us way different than I think a lot of us are experiencing ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, let me get this uh, paraphrase out here before we go um, for it, before we go too far. Um, 
because I think this paraphrase is sort of a summary, uh, a summary statement from Isaiah of what God is up to, and I think it teaches us quite a bit about how he sees people. Okay, go for it. Again, this is a paraphrase, but you can find uh, the original version in Isaiah 65, 17 to 25. And if you need me to explain how I got where I got, I'm happy to do so, because I know some people said I never would have gotten that from, in the service we read the original passage, and then I read the paraphrase, and people were like, I never would have gotten that. But we can have a conversation about it if you doubt me. So this is the voice of God. I am creating a new reality. Your past won't be used against you anymore. I'm creating a home that is safe and secure and full of joy. You will be provided for. Parents won't lose their children. People won't die prematurely. Workers won't be taken advantage of and work will be meaningful. Children will have hope. I will answer prayers before they're even prayed. Enemies will become friends, and evil will have no power. Whoa. In the world we live in, where we experience people losing children prematurely all the time, uh, that, that particular promise really stands out to me. Yeah. You know, what kind of God, you know, to try to combine the two kind of versions of of how God views people, it's like if God views people as a pain in the butt who are only getting in his way, would he, would he want to stop using their pasts against them? Would he want to create a home that is safe and secure and full of joy? Would he want to prevent premature death? Would he want to end suffering and dry the tears would he would he want work to be meaningful you know would he want would he want to put an end to to people being taken advantage of uh, would he want to answer prayers prematurely or before they were even spoken you know is is that kind of god does does that line up with what we see in a passage like this i can't help I can't help but answer that question. No, right? Let's right. just jump to the. Let's right. just jump right to it. I, right. I don't see that God here. I see. I see a very different God here. A God who looks down and sees people. And sure, we have problems, but our problems are not a problem for God. Right. And we're still His beloved creation. I mean, we we're in a recovery community, right? And we have parents who have children who've really made a mess of their lives, and they still love them so dearly. Yes. Right, and they look down and they and they see their beloved children. Yes, you know, and they can see the parts of their children that are still wonderful in spite of their problems. Right, you know, and I I can't help but imagine that this is the kind of God who's looking down at us, a God who says your problems are not a problem for me. Right, and that's why I'm creating a, a safe and secure home, and we're going to put an end to this premature death business, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure that that existence is joyful and meaningful. You know, I can't help but think that God being God, um, as a parent myself, who who um, who believes that my children's problems are not a problem. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if I feel this way, why wouldn't Holy God feel this way even more perfectly? Right. 
Yeah. So to me, this just makes, as a parent, this just makes perfect sense. Yeah. I am, I, you know, I, this is going to sound weird, but I mean, I am your creation. Right. I right. Mean, and so, it, it, you know, and, and I think, you know, what you described there is very much the vibe that I get from you. Oh, thank you. You know, and, um, and so, yeah, if we know that, that we are somehow lesser, lesser beings than God, then imagine that on a magnified scale. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful. And, right? see, and, and, and see, Nora, me- and Nora, you know, to take it another level, I mean, Nora's my daughter, but she's not my creation, hmm. you know, and, and yet I still feel that, Yeah, you know, even when, you know, we're getting into that toddlery tantrumy kind of place now and she did she's not want to really cute with her yeah, little tantrum and she did not want to have her oatmeal this morning you know and you know hijinks ensues you know yeah but that doesn't yeah. change you know that doesn't change it for me and uh you know obviously these are the easiest problems i'm ever going to have right i get that i get that this is not nearly the same thing as the kinds of stuff that you've gone through with us but I can, I guess what I'm saying is I can see, I, I can, I can imagine how this feeling sticks with you. So, so to continue the parallel, which is, is a weak one at best, I have known parents in my life who's, who are not able to embrace yeah uh, their children fully mm-hmm. um, whose children are there it seems to me their identity is so tied to their children's performance that it's very hard for them to be detached enough to see the beauty yeah. uh, and um, I don't know I seem seem to think that comes from a place of deep personal insecurity maybe yeah it's hard, um, hard to say but whatever it I comes what, i know what you mean though yeah where, wherever that comes from that's not who god is right you know uh god is not a hungry angry lonely little god uh standing behind a velvet curtain you know pushing levers and hoping that that his creation will make him feel better about himself. That's just not going on here. Not the Wizard of Oz. He is not the Wizard of Oz. So um, I think for people who might have had parents who for whatever reason had a lot of expectations of them and felt like their parental love was pretty conditional... I wonder if they can't even hardly believe this, you know, because this is such good news. I'm I'm sure that's the case, and maybe and maybe because of that, it's a good time to exit the metaphor, and because um, you know I love summary statements. Yes. And I think to summarize, you know, from this beginning idea of why would God want us to follow Him from His perspective? Now, right. obviously, I'm not saying I have God's perspective, but I'm just saying. Can we imagine what it might be based on this information that we have? Right. That he would want us to follow him because he loves his creation and his work is going to make creation a better home for all. And he wants us to have a better home. Right. 
You know, I mean, is, right. is that that seems like quite an obvious takeaway from this to me. And yeah, that's going to be a very different disposition than what a lot of people experience from their parents. Right. You know, and a lot of people struggle with the idea that that father language is used for God when when as you were saying, so many people don't don't get quite this experience. Right. You know, and 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 further that God would want us to follow because he's collaborative and enjoys working with partners. And our job as partners is not to do a whole bunch of work, but to point to the work that God is doing right. so that other people can know, hey, there's a different kind of father out there. Right. There's a different kind of God than the one that you've been told is is God. You know, like right. there, there's, we're pointing to the fact that there's something different out there, something who desires to, to give good gifts, to dry tears, to end suffering. This is not generally what we've been told God is up to. Um, and can I... Can I say also the beauty of this statement and maybe give a little bit of hope to people who who maybe didn't maybe didn't get the parents that gave them that message. Um, what I would say um, to people is, um, I hear you, I feel you. Uh, I get what that's like, and in addition to that, look around and see if perhaps that that God maybe put some other people in your life because these people were collaborative and enjoyed working with God. Um, so um, that was certainly true for me. Yeah. And I'll get all emotional if I talk about it, so I won't. But I will say that there are many if we are if we are collaborating and enjoying working with God, we can be the people who fill the gaps where families just for whatever reason can't do that. Yeah. So we can be the people that love others this way and I hope you had what I had, people who filled some mighty big cracks in my own life as a child. Yep. That's I feeling, mean, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I'm just, you know, you, you said, I think you had in your summary that we can offer places to gather that are safe and secure. Yeah. And I would say that the holidays are coming up. Yeah. And, uh, I would think you could fill every chair around your dining room table, even if most of your family will be somewhere else. Yeah. And we could fill those seats with people um, that maybe feel like they don't have a dining room table to put their feet under. And that is no small thing. Right. So... I think there I think that this is this is really practical in that um our being able to accept people um can make all the difference in the world for them. Yeah. As other people's acceptance has certainly made a difference for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of our job to provide a little bit of a glimpse of of these things to come that God is bringing as much as we can where we can uh however imperfect it may be. Yeah, so I think if you're tempted as the holiday season comes up to think about what you don't have, if you 
instead maybe lament that a little bit. Have a have a Christmas cookie um, or a piece of fruitcake um, and lament that and then decide for yourself, well, how am I going to how am I going to make it so that at least one person doesn't have to feel this way? That would be kind of cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, Was that a Beatles song that said, love the one you're with? If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with? Um, uh, it was a famous song. Um, I can't remember at the moment. Anyway, do that appropriately. Well, that's feeling very uh, complete to me. Um, do you have anything this week that you want to recommend? Why don't you go first? Because I really forgot to think about it. <laughs> um, I will. Um, wait, I just met with somebody. We're trying to work more collaboratively with people who are doing good things in our community. I met with a, um, a man today named Aaron Rowe, who's getting his... Um, private therapy practice off the ground. Um, he's worked a lot with people who have substance use disorders. He's worked with couples. He's worked with teens. He's worked with a lot of different uh, people going through a lot of different things. And so I know he still has some openings uh, that he's looking to fill. And um, if you need to get in touch with him, contact me or um, he has a website, Aaron Rowe. He's one of these Aaron's with two A's, A-A-R-O-N. And then last name row, R-O-W-E. Um, so it can be hard to find a counselor who has openings, and he has them right now. So I'm just going to go ahead and recommend him. He seemed like a, a lovely, lovely person. That's fantastic. Yep. Well, I'll stay on the therapeutic theme. Okay. Um, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm so old, I'm going to have to start keeping a list of things I recommend. Um, but I would uh, recommend uh, that you check out the website for the John Gottman Institute. Uh, if you're interested in resources, handouts, and uh, some pretty neat uh, research and writing on marriage. Yep. And um, We've recommended his books before, but not specifically his website. So yeah. technically different if you're worried about your old person memory. Thank you. Uh, so his website's pretty interesting. You can get handouts and, and whatnot, little worksheets. Uh, I'm a big fan of those myself. Uh, so um, check them out at the at John Gottman Institute. All right. Uh, it's feeling very complete. Lastly, there's likely going to be music playing somewhere on this podcast at the beginning and the end because that's just, you know, how you do podcasts, I guess. It comes to us courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions, who can be found on the web at sessions.blue, royalty-free. We are grateful for that. Um, if you have stumbled uh, upon this podcast from the magic, the wizardry, the sorcery that is the internet, you can find out more about us at www.northstarcommunity.com. Uh, we thank you for listening, and we will be back next week.